Welcome to Mox on the Mic, your exclusive look into all things Chattanooga athletics. Here's your host, Chris Goforth. We continue social distancing here on Mox on the Mic, and with UTC Athletics still on pause because of the pandemic, we thought this would be a great time to talk with some mocks who have gone on to play professionally. And who better to start with than current Chattanooga women's basketball coach Debbie Black. Black excelled in pro basketball before coming to Chattanooga. Coach Black was the WNBA's Defensive Player of the Year, but it's a career that started out playing basketball and softball for Jim Foster at St. Joe's. Let's go back to the beginning with Chattanooga women's basketball assistant coach, Debbie Black. Coach, let's talk. There's a lot of things that I want to um, to talk to you about. I want to kind of go through your career, not so much as a coach, but your career more so as a player. Um, you played at St. Joe's under Jim Foster early in his coaching career. Do you remember your first interaction with, with Jim Foster? <laughs> Good question. Um, you know, I he used to come to watch me play when I was a sophomore in, in, in high school. Um, he was in the stands back then the, the day when you could do that. Um, and I guess the first time I remember him uh, the mo- most was uh, he drove me home from work one day or from practice one day. And there's some things going on. He was just like, are you all right? Um, it was probably just the start of like, yeah, I'm fine. I, I can get through this. And he, uh, he really was just at that point, somebody who I wanted to play for. He challenged me, but he also, um, I don't know if the word is loved me at that point, but he certainly, it felt like that. <laughs> you not only played basketball, though, for Jim Foster, you played softball for him in college as well. I had no idea that Jim Foster <laughs> once coached college softball. We know what kind of a basketball coach he was. What kind of the softball coach was Jim Foster? Well, that's funny because you're right. I mean, in the, the day of that, I mean, he didn't make, I mean, they had to coach sports, and then he had a job outside of that as well, um, as well as softball and basketball. But uh, he was uh, – he was a no-nonsense coach, so um, I played third base, and if you can understand, well, you know softball, you understand signals. It was like bunt. It was like steal. It, everything was pretty generic, <laughs> and he was he was just no, it was just, it was so just right like that. There wasn't any, like, hit your hat three times or whatever you do to hit your cheek. It was, it was bunt, steal, you know, hit away, you know. It was just, it was so um, fun. It was fun and easy, and and like everything else Coach Foster's done, he's so competitive, like competitive. We were a small D1 school, and we were competitive in softball. You played in college. You played basketball and softball. You also played field hockey. Now, I know, obviously, the opportunities there uh, for basketball were, were the greatest, I think, for, for really good female athletes at that time in the late 80s basketball was was probably the pathway if you wanted to continue being able to play out of those three though was basketball your favorite ironically um I was the best soccer player I'm a soccer built player and uh I didn't have soccer when I went to high school and that would have been my best sport by far I'm built like it I look like it and uh 
what you to your point, my pathway was basketball. So I tried basketball and then um, jumped into field hockey. I, I, I tried out the day before practice and uh, made the team, made varsity, ironically. And then softball is something I did sort of on the side. I hate to say that, but it was just I needed to stay busy. But soccer was was my I played in Belgium. I played one summer in Belgium as a young kid and I was good at soccer. I just we didn't have any pathways for that at that time. So I said, oh, I'll try I'll try basketball, which which gave me the prowess, I think, to be a, a very, very good defender. Um, angles, angles, angles. Everything in soccer was angles, and everything in basketball is angles, and defense, that is, and then even in being a point guard. So and it's kind of weird to say that, but my probably best sport was soccer, and I didn't even play those those three sports I played in high school, and I played in um, at St. Joe's University. Um, I was just lucky to be good enough to play all three. You spent eight years playing basketball in Australia. I don't want to hear about basketball. I want to know what it's like to live in Australia. It sounds awesome. But and I lived in um I lived in a Tasmania, which is as I hope you know everyone knows, but it's an island. I didn't know that when I was offered the um, opportunity to go there. But it's an island. It's um absolutely beautiful. Um, and that whole country is because I, I was experienced the whole country in those years. Um, I'm a dual citizen and I, uh, I can just tell you great people, their warmth, their energy, their excitement, and their, um, their, their, their love of living is different than ours. They don't, they, they said Americans, they, they work to they live to work in, in Australia. They, they work to live or something. It was in that, in that context. Like, and it made sense. Like they, they closed their shops at five. Um, their Saturdays, they were done at 12. No, no, nothing open on Sundays. Um, they taught me that like working is important, but everything else outside of that was really important. Um, and so I can't tell you how warm those people are on their, they're just, uh, they're amazing. And they have, the, they have, they kind of got the, the, they got the formula right, in my opinion. Now, did you stay there during the off season or did you come back to the States? No, I, well, what I did was I have a degree in marketing. Um, I worked for a, a company called the Hydroelectric Commission at the time, like back in the 80s, as we know, probably in the, back in the ABA days, maybe with the men. So a company hires you, that's part of the package. So I was in, in marketing for the hydro, which would be their, in, in Tasmania, their run on, on, their electric system is run on, on water. So it's, it's big turbines. It's very clean. So I, I ran their marketing department where I helped run, I helped in the marketing department. They gave me a job basically, and I had to prove myself, but I did that. Um, so I stayed there mostly. I, I maybe get a chance to get back like a month, you know, if I could, because they give you, in, in Australia, which is a nice thing, they give you, no matter when you started, they give you a month off a year. That's part of the package. <laughs> so that's part of the perks of why uh, they get to travel much more than we Americans do. But uh, yeah, it was awesome. But you know what? I would have stayed there if the WNBA didn't open up because it probably was, it was like ideal place to live, place to grow. If you had one children or family, it was perfect. What was the competition like there, basketball-wise? Uh, uh, the best in the world, um, uh, because we didn't have the WNBA. Um, the reason I got a chance to play in WNBA is because all the players that I played against in Australia, um, they're tougher than us. They're tougher than us. I'm going to say that straight out. I mean, 
literally if they hurt themselves, they crawl off the floor. They don't stand there and like yell. Um, they're they're just they're just uh, they're that's their that's their culture. They knew rugby. They know Australian rules football. And I, I, I thought I was tough, and I think I'm pretty tough. But you, know, you break your nose a couple times, and you just get off the court, and you go fix it, and you get back on the court. And that's what I learned from them. And if you, if you look at the history of the WNBA, the amount of um, players that have made it, it's pretty amazing for a small country. The country's no bigger than New York. The whole country's no bigger than New York in population. So I just think golf, tennis, you know, basketball, I mean, they're, they're pretty amazing. <laughs> So before the WNBA, there was the ABL, and you were a part of that league for a little while. That was a league that had they had a TV deal. They had some of the biggest – no, I think they did have the biggest names in women's basketball. If you followed women's college basketball, you know, all of those players that you had seen that were all Americans in college, they were all playing in the ABL but it didn't last. Why? In your opinion, why didn't that league make it? Um, I, I completely agree with you. That was the toughest league um, outside of a couple star players um, in the college ranks that went to the WMA. Um, I think, unfortunately, we didn't have the backing. We didn't have the, like, the WMA had the backing of the NBA, and we, the ABL, probably, um, in hindsight, if this is correctly spoken, but I'm going to say it, they, they overpaid us. Um, we would all take a pay cut to keep that league alive because that league was fun. It was played during the normal basketball time. And I think I think they, they kind of went a little too aggressive with how much we, we got paid. Um, I had a five-year deal for $1.2 Like, how do, you, how do you get that? Um, it just, I was, I'm not going to say no, but if they were to ask us to take a pay cut, we would have. Because all of us, um, and we all, most of us made the WNBA anyway, but I just think we probably got overpaid and you, you got to pay. You can only pay if you have people in the stands or if you have the con- TV contract. So I think, honestly, that's probably the biggest thing that happened. That league folded during the middle of the season. Did you see that coming? And what was your, how did you find out? What is there a story behind that? Yeah, it's uh, it's actually actually horrible because I went home for Christmas after my last game was December twenty second. Went home for Christmas for four days. My sister was coaching in high school, and I get a phone call um, that the league folded. It was December twenty sixth, I believe, um, and I was I was completely it was completely just a just a shock. I think all of us. I've talked to a number of players, obviously in the league, and none of us expected it. Um, and I think we were all saying the same thing. Why didn't you tell us? We would have all been really happy to, well, we were happy just to be in the, in the United States playing basketball or, you know, out of college playing basketball. And if you had just have told us, we would have been happy to take a pay cut. Um, but yeah, so basically that was it. Then it was like, okay, we got to try out for the WNBA. And that's kind of how it worked. Merry Christmas, huh? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a tough. And I have, thank goodness, I have a great family. I'm, I'm the youngest of four, and my parents, and we just, you know, said, "Hey, the next." It's kind of like anything, like what we're going through now. Like you just gotta, you gotta deal with it, and you gotta figure out a way to get through it. One more thing, though, on the on the ABL, uh, 1996. 
playing against the Atlanta Glory. <laughs> 10 points, 14 <laughs> rebounds, 12 assists, 10 steals, the quadruple double. That doesn't happen often, ever, for that matter. Uh, what do you remember about that night? Um. Well, first of all, we won the game. I guess that was the most important thing on my mind. Um, but it was a fairly close game. And I do remember one thing. I, w I was never a big scorer, um, if you look at my stats. And I remember my coach saying something to me. It was like a minute to go, a minute and a half to go in the game. And she said, I guess at that point, I only had eight points. I, I don't keep track of that. And she said, uh, Deb, go get a basket. I'm like, I've never been asked to go get a basket. Like, I don't even know how to get a so. Ironically, it must have been like, I mean, there must be somebody was looking up from above. I went, I drove the lane, and I made a reverse layup, which I don't do either. And that was my 10th point to, rec like to, to record that. And I didn't really, I really don't, that's what I remember the most. I just couldn't, I didn't really rationalize in my head as a player. Why my coach wants me to get a basket? We're supposed to stall a little bit. We're up by, we're up by like four or six. She's like, go get a basket. I was like, what? And so that was probably what I remember the most. And then, and then, you know, that's reflecting on that because you know, when they told me, I didn't even know what it was. I'm like, wow. It was one of those nights the ball just came to me. Like, honestly, the, the hardest thing to do is steals, in my opinion. Um, the block shots is tough. I didn't get those, but the steals were hard. Rebounds, they can come to you because they hit the floor. But the steals were um, fortunate. I mean, for me, I mean, that's what I do. But 10 is a lot in the game. Uh, everything else was – and then, like I said, I don't really score. So, who knows? <laughs> That's what I remember. <laughs> when you look back on your days as a player, was the NBA – and, look, you had been playing professionally for a while by the time you got to the WNBA. Was that the pinnacle, though, for you? Yeah, I think um, the pinnacle for me was was um, after being in Australia for so long. Um, I'll never forget this. And I was in the ABL, uh, you know, at the time. But the very first game we played was um, hearing our national anthem because my whole life after leaving college, all I heard was the Australian national anthem. And um, I had a, it really, it really like I was I almost forgot it, you know, because I never heard it. So it was uh, very emotional for me. That was probably the pinnacle of just the fact that, like, as a kid, I never grew up thinking I could be a pro. I was thinking, oh, look at Marie's cheeks. I'm so jealous of the John Stockton. Well, I could be in the United States. And so the day that I arrived in Colorado for that first game was the day when that, when that national anthem played. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm one of them. Like, I actually made it. And I don't even know how I did it. And I think that would be the pinnacle of what, what I felt. And I, and I always said this, which I wasn't allowed to my agent. And I said not to say this, but I said, I would have played this game for free. I loved it. I still love it. And um, it's, it's an awesome, it's an awesome experience. I've, I've been all around the world to, to get where I'm at. You were the shortest player in the league. You were nicknamed the pest. How has that style of play, especially defensively, WNBA Defensive Player of the Year, how much of that seeps into your coaching and, and the way you try to coach, especially coaching point guards? Well, it's, it, it's, um, it's kind of – you have to kind of figure yourself out, as I always say. I mean, no one – somebody this size, I can teach them differently than I would – 
teach a point guard that's got length, you have to figure out what your attributes are. Like mine was being small. I had to get close. I had to be extremely fit. I had to get kind of, I call the concept up and under you so that you had to go backwards, not forwards, even if you were faster than me. So for me, teaching smaller guards, that's what I'd say. But now if you have more length, you have to be smart. You have to be able to keep a distance, but use your length of your with your arms. Don't be afraid. It's not reaching. Every coach says, don't reach. It's poking. It's a different concept. You want to make the point guard on the other side of the ball with the ball in their hands to think about you so you can't set up your offense. That's the, that's the job of the point guard. Know your job. Your job is don't let them put the ball in position they want to put it in. So it really, for me as a coach, it depends on what I have. If I got a little point guard, I can teach them my style. If I got a longer point guard, I can tell them what they need to do. So it, it that's really what it, what it comes down to. And uh, I, I had to survive in a very, very competitive league, figuring out how to be really good. Is that where the intensity comes from? A little bit of that, for lack of a better word, a little bit of that underdog? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's amazing. I mean, everyone told me I was too little. No one really, really recruited me out of high school. Uh, my whole life, it's been like, you're not good enough. You're not big enough. You're not. I'm like, mm. it absolutely comes from never say never. And um, the, the more you get, say, anyone said I couldn't do something, even my family, and I'm the youngest of four, which really helps. They say you can't do something, then she's going to do it. And I think that's what I, 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 I loved it that people didn't think I was good enough. Um, in fact, I just talked to my ABL coach last night, and she said that Atlanta, when Atlanta Glory was, they were drafting, and when I, they drafted me sixth in the draft, and uh, after we beat them, ironically, it was the um, it was the game I, I had a quad, and she said, before that, when she drafted me, she said, why are you drafting her? And then in the line after we beat them, she goes, this is why. So, I mean, it's sort of like it's it's kind of a fairy tale story in my opinion. Um, but I but I really like to pass it on to the players I coach and the players I see and the young ones that hope hope to be whatever. And I, I thought that was really interesting. I never knew that happened. I never knew they were like, why would you pick her? So I guess I've had that my whole career, and I uh, it was it's fun to prove people wrong. Well, I was going to ask you as a coach, do you find that? maybe you tend to gravitate more towards that kid that maybe isn't as physically gifted maybe as some of the other players you may coach and, and because you see a little bit of, of you in them. Yeah, I guess um, human nature would tell us that we would do that. And I, I like to hope I, I think I've grown up a, a lot coaching in the last 15 years, I guess now it's been, um, uh, yeah, I think at first you, you kind of cheer for the underdog, but then I also want to go towards the one that has potential, that that needs, that, that they're so gifted and they're so talented, and I don't want them to be one of those ones that miss out on an opportunity. So I kind of learned through the process here that, um, you know, I, I always say to them, listen, I'm, I, I made the WNBA because you guys didn't work hard enough because you're way better than me. And they're the ones that I want, I want them to, I just want them to reach whatever they want to reach. If they don't want to do that or they don't, whatever it is, but if they're going to play. So I guess I, I'm hoping to encourage both 
both sides of that stick. You know what I mean? Like I want to kind of, I want to help both, both ends of it. Cause I've seen too many people not, um, not reach their, their potential. When you're able to share those WNBA stories, uh, the stories of playing professionally, do you find the kids now, do they perk up and maybe they pay a little more attention when you start telling those stories and in your experience? Yeah, you know, I think they're, I mean, they're obviously, I think they, um, I, I, I believe anyway that they think that, you know, they're, they're amazed that, I think they're a little amazed that I made it just to see me now, I guess. Like, I don't go out there on the court much anywhere, but I think they can't believe that, that I was in that arena. But in, in all honesty, they, um, they respect me and that's all I care about. I can tell when I talk, I can tell when um, I get them one-on-one that they want to learn whatever I learned. And um, that, that I think, you know, I don't, I guess I don't probably tell them as much as I need to. Like, I should probably tell more stories, like, you know, when it's tough out there and when I don't feel confident because they're thinking I'm always confident. But I think there's times when as players and as people, you need someone to say, you weren't confident. I'm like, nope. And then and no one believes that. But I think that if we can open ourselves up a little more, and I think I learned that through my, um, my experience, my age, my probably is a, is a word, just to share those better with them. So that's a good question. I, I need to ask you uh, that there's a story that you tell about a sign, a Band-Aid, and your hustle, <laughs> and how it all ties into wins. Can you, uh, can you share that a little bit? It's, it's nuts. Um, my, my, uh, my forte is diving on the floor for a reason, not just to dive, but uh, when I was in Miami Soul, in the WNBA, um, a group of people, whoever knows how this all works, but uh, every time I dove, and I always had to get the ball or save a ball or, you know, whatever I did, um, they put a Band-Aid the size of myself. It probably was three, well, three feet. It was really high. And uh, I look up there as I, I didn't understand what they were doing at first, but um, if I got 10 or more Band-Aids, we win. <laughs> 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 and and I remember looking up one time, going, "Oh, there's only eight. You know, we we're still down." And and, and it wasn't like it motivated. I guess it did motivate me. It was just that it was just a sign of respect from the fans. I think that they appreciated my effort. Um, who doesn't appreciate effort? Effort is is the first thing you. If you can give anything, enthusiasm and effort are the two things I would say that will make you really good in whatever you do, even if you're not that good. You can always get through with that and uh i think that's all they were just and it wasn't like i said it wasn't even a, it wasn't even a thought process for me if the ball was loose i was going to be the first one to get it and you know, my knees were bloody and my, i loved it i loved it but when i looked up at the band-aids i remember thinking oh i gotta get a couple more because i knew 10 would win we would win i don't know what the percentage of it was because that would be a funny fact but i don't know but we would win games if i had 10 band-aids up there and i thought that was and i'm talking big band-aids not like little they're giant size <laughs> is there any part now that you can reflect back on it from your days as a player you played professionally at the highest level you were you got accolades playing at the highest level was there anything left that now you look back on it that you wished you could have done that you didn't get the opportunity to you know um i i use this word often with my playing career but no regrets i absolutely felt like i maximized like my potential i maximized every team i was on 
I don't feel like I could have done anything different. Um, um, one, one time a coach said to me, I said, coach, what can I do? She's killing me. He said, grow. <laughs> and that was a funny statement. I was on the sideline. He said, grow. Like, I mean, I can't do anything about my size. I can only, I can use whatever materials I have. And, um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see one thing I could, you know, say I regret, like Le regret or would wish was different. Like, I mean, everything was just like a fairy tale. I mean, you go to, you go to, you go to Australia because they think you're six, three instead of five, three. I don't know if you know that story, but yeah, I was in street and Smith. They thought I was six, three and I was only five, three. I was like, just send me a ticket. I'll try out. I'm only five, three. So it, it, it then from there, it was just, it was amazing to think that I had a professional basketball career, like, like never thought that would be on my list. <laughs> so I have absolutely nothing I can complain about. <laughs> so streets and Smith had you listed at six, three. Yeah. So a coach from Australia called coach Foster and, and said, well, we got one little problem. <laughs> she, she's a great point guard, um, but she's only five, three. And they were, they were um and on. And, and then, he, he said, just send her a ticket, try, let her try out, just give her one way ticket, you know, what, what, you know, return ticket. If you don't like your center back, but that's, that's how that, that's how that happened. It was a fluke. Um, but I went, I didn't even know where Tasmania was. I mean, my dad's like, I think it's in Africa. I said, no, that's Tanzania. I think I said, it's in, it's in Australia somewhere. <laughs> so that's how I actually got over there. And, um, I always tell when I do any talks to, to kids and stuff, I'm like, seize the moment because a lot of people probably at 21 wouldn't you know fly all the way to 26 hours to a country you don't even know of and uh to make up but i was like why not like what, what do i have to lose i love the game of basketball and um it's taken me everywhere so um that's how it all started after st joe's and then coach foster helped me get to australia coach let's talk a little bit about chattanooga basketball for a second um first off how do you go about replacing uh, Lakeland Bolden? Um, well, uh, this has been an interesting virus that we've been in um, because recruiting has been for us, I think, um, healthier than ever uh, because the fact that we can be on the phone with kids all the time, they're sitting at home. Um, we got, we get, we gotten some commitments. Uh, we had a young transfer. Um, her name's Brooke and Brooke's going to definitely add the points that we're going to need from um from morgan i mean from morgan i'm sorry from lake and then morgan hill who also sat out now, there are two kids right now that were here in our program that are going to be injected and, and and they're both between them they're going to be able to help replace the scoring power of lakeland you never replace a lakeland but you you add you know and then we've added a couple new kids so um but those two for sure, and obviously I'm not allowed to talk about recruits, but those two, but I just think that we, uh, I think we're on the right path right now. Coach, appreciate the time and uh, look forward. We need to do this again. I get the feeling there's probably a couple of more stories we can pull out of you. <laughs> I hate, yeah, I'm obviously I'm very, uh, you know, <laughs> introverted. So, <laughs> but anytime, I, yeah, I love, you know, I love sharing. Um, sometimes you forget what you've been through sometimes unless you talk about it. So it's been, it's been my pleasure just to just to share anything. I, I like to help people. That's sort of my mission, I think, in life after after playing. So I, I appreciate you guys' time. 
What a career. Thanks to uh, Coach Black for giving us some time. That was a lot of fun. I look forward to being able to catch up with her again uh, someday. And if you enjoy hearing stories like that, then make sure you subscribe, rate, and review to Mox on the Mic. We're available wherever you download your podcast from. So be looking forward. Of course, you can also find us on GoMox.com every week as well. Just uh, make sure you look for another episode. And hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to some more Chattanooga athletes that have gone on and played professionally, whether it's in the States or overseas in the NFL. Uh, look forward to being able to uh, to get an opportunity to, uh, to talk with more. Until then, for our producer, Tate Johnson, I'm Chris Goforth saying so long, everybody, and go Mox. Thanks for listening to Mox on the Mic. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and review. And we'll see you again soon.